This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone, thanks for listening. First, I wanna start the show by congratulating my partner and co-host, Jerry Brisson, on our most recent recognition. Food First Michigan has been selected as the top show slash podcast for food security across America by the Feedspot organization. Congratulations, Jerry, and everybody who supports us, including Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Thanks, everybody. Our guest today is no stranger to excellence and growth. Rob Fowler has led major growth for the Small Business Association of Michigan, starting with just 5,000 members, and now the association is pushing close to 30,000 members. We know in our work that healthy things grow, and I think it's true for small business as well. But now it looks like Rob Fowler is riding off into the sunset, having just announced his retirement and after serving for 21 years at SBIM, 19 as their CEO, Rob is ready for the next place where he can do some good, some more good. Rob Fowler joins the irrepressible Jerry Brisson and me, Dr. Phil Knight, next on this edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson is here. Jerry, great to see you as always. Great to see you. I, I really miss you in the studio, Doctor, and with the opening up of, of things, I am really hopeful that we can be in the studio soon, and I'll give a plug to our producer, Mark, who does such a great job, um, and uh, and I can't wait to see Mark, too. I mean, uh, it's been so long, it's, it's unreal. Well, it's been too long, and we want to jump to our guests, but but right before we do, I mentioned in the monologue, and I just want to say it here again, that uh, Food First Michigan has been named the top show slash podcast for food security across America by the Feedspot organization that focuses on, on issues and the challenges regarding food security. So, uh, Racking up another honor there, Jerry, and um, you know it's it's it goes right along with the Michigan Association of Broadcasters Award, but this one's a little more national. So, congratulations! Right. Number one podcast on food security in the nation. Is that right. did I get that right? You did. You did. So there we are. Well, it's because of guests like we have today, and so <laughs> that's a perfect segue. As perfect because uh, it is because of guests and it's in spite of me and you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, welcome, Rob. Rob Fowler, the CEO for the Small Business Association of Michigan. No stranger to this show, and certainly a friend of ours, and uh, a man who has de- dedicated a lot of his life to standing in the gap for the families who own the small businesses here in Michigan. So, Rob, welcome back to Food First, and uh, we're excited to see you. Thank you, Dr. Phil. Thank you, Jerry. Good to be back. It's great to have you. So, Rob, um, let's start with SBAM. And I, I think the diving board here is uh, you and uh, your president, Brian Callie, have, um, have 
when the pandemic started, you were like on uh, Zoom, FaceTime almost every day, if not every day, uh, and really updating the members of the Small Business Association about uh, what's going on during the pandemic. Uh, your frequency on Facebook Live has been a little less, so I think that's good news for uh, all of us. Uh, there's a joke there, but I'm just going to leave it alone. Uh, but at, the pandemic is uh, is slowing. The uh, vaccinations are up. Businesses is reopening. So talk to us about what your families have experienced during this pandemic. Well, um, thank you, Phil, for, for mentioning. You know, it, it's interesting. You, you run a, a statewide association, as do I. And, you know, I think one of the people recognize the value of their association, especially in hard times. Hmm. In in good times, uh, members tend to to not sort of have a perceived need for their association. And I'm super proud of our team at the Small Business Association in Michigan. Uh, 27 employees, all of whom stayed um, at work. We didn't we didn't lay anybody off, but we literally changed all of their all of their jobs to serving small businesses in this pandemic, finding information, vetting information, tracking down uh, answers for people's questions, literally becoming a customer service hotline. And um, and, and I think uh, I think we serve small businesses well from, you know, from early on. So I'm super proud of our team and I appreciate you you saying that, you know, it it is very interesting. You're, you're right. We've been we're also an advocacy organization and speaking, uh, you know, to uh, our policymakers and for honestly, most of the last year um, to one policymaker who was the governor who mm. really had made all of the decisions, she and her, uh, you know, department heads and others. So uh, really our, our efforts at, were aimed at helping to be the voice of small business in those considerations about opening back up. What we knew is this this is having a devastating effect on small businesses. And and to be sure, not all of them, um, and, and we can talk about this a little bit, you know, I, I've heard that the, uh, the, the idea of a K-shaped recovery, which I think means some are doing really well, and some are doing really poorly. And I think that is exactly what's happening in small business, uh, depending upon what business you're in. I've had any number of conversations with people who literally have had the best year of their of their business. Hmm. But if you are a dry cleaner or you are in the meetings, you know, business of, of in, serve the meetings industry or conference industry, uh, obviously, if you're a restaurant, uh, you have had a very, very different experience. And those businesses and their employees have had a really, really difficult time during this, uh, this pandemic. And it continues to this day. Yeah. Well, I think that we've uh... Our food banks have um, have discovered that there's a tremendous amount of people that have come to us during the pandemic for the first time. And many of them never expected to be able to come to us. In fact, Jerry, you, you've shared on the show several times about families that, that you guys have served specifically that told that story. Well, that's true. And I, and I think um, trying to get a handle on what remains as as some things are coming back really strongly and rob what you just described um accurately describes our experience that there are some people who have who have in fact done very well 
Um, and, and they're supporting us, right? They're sending donations. They're, they, they know that there's people who haven't done as well. And the outpouring of generosity has been uh, quite the opposite of the outpouring of need, right? It's, it, they're both there. They're both in front of us. And so it's been a really, I've never really seen anything quite like it in all the years that I've been in this work. And so now we're, we're trying to figure out, okay, what should we expect? I mean, like I just talked to a school superintendent who basically said, you know, they have, they have some real challenges next year with uh, trying to get uh, academically back on track for all the students that have lost some time by not being able to be in school. And we wonder things like, well, what is that going to mean for, for families with two working parents? And what is it going to mean for them to manage their kids' education? And are they going to be able to go back to work the way they did before, even if the employment opportunities are there? You know, it's just such a complex uh, environment. And so, so we really appreciate the, you know, the, the finger on the pulse that you, that you have and, and that you continue to have around well, what's happening with business? We know people are struggling to to get all the employees they need in some businesses, right? And so there's this really still very strange dichotomy for us about people who are still genuinely in need because they're maybe their sector hasn't come back fully, or maybe maybe there's been so many changes in the sector because of the pandemic that they're they the it's just not going to be the same kind of employment as it used to be. Um, even with people coming back to back to the office, um, there are not as many coming back. So what does that mean for those downtown shops and businesses that used to have a lot more people? I mean, and I know I'm rattling off a whole bunch of circumstances, but that's really what we're trying to understand is how do we plan for the next wave? What is that going to look like? Who's going to be in it? How do we serve them best while we're also, you know, supporting people and families through this time of continued change? Yeah, I, Jerry, you said it uh, early that you've never seen anything like it. And um, I would say the same is true from my seat. Um, I've never seen anything that that rivals the sort of uncertain future that we're looking at. And, um, you know, I think we're near the end of this. We have two dates, you know, coming up that are that are going to be really important. June 1st and July 1st and July 1st, the the uh, essentially the mask mandate is a symbol of of doing away with the the um, all the requirements and mandates and and that we would have come out of it if, if you will but then there's the the settling that has to happen the economic settling and and i don't think we know what that looks like the the end of the pandemic unemployment uh, the additional unemployment is coming and when that happens we'll see what the you know what the workforce looks like and um so you know i i think uncertainty is is the is the challenge that we're all going to face uh, i can tell you this and again having talked to a number of small businesses uh over, over the recent months um of all the planning anyone ever did of all the disaster planning or scenario planning um nobody had a global pandemic and what they were going to do if it happened in their plan yeah, yeah. And I don't think we, you know, I, I think we're all in that phase of what's the new normal, the next normal going to be, uh, and what do I do? What does my business do in the context of that next uh, economy? So, Jerry, you mentioned downtowns. My goodness, downtowns will not look like they did before, small town or large city, because 
I don't see any scenario where all of the office workers who were in downtowns before are coming back to to their office. Uh, and that has an impact on every retail, every bar, restaurant, entertainment uh, venue in every downtown. And so I think we're in for a period of shaking out hmm. when, uh, you know, when, when, when all the rules are off, no capacity limits, no, um, you know, the things that govern the ability to serve your customers, when those things are all gone, then we start the sorting out period. And I, I think it's going to be difficult for, for a lot of businesses. Uh, I think we haven't seen the business closures that we're going to see yet. I mean, that is to say, some of them are still, you know, um, dragging along, uh, but aren't going to make it. And, and so I, I think many of us thought we would see significant business closures. Uh, I think that second shoe has not dropped yet. Guys, let's take a quick break and come back. This is uh, just the right discussion to find out a little bit of forecasting about need. And uh, for us in our world, and certainly for the families that both of our associations serve across Michigan. That's Rob Fowler, the CEO for the Small Business Association of Michigan, Jerry Brisson, and me, Dr. Phil Knight. We're all three back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Rob Fowler joins Jerry Brisson and me, Dr. Phil Knight. Jerry, uh, great first segment with Rob. Lots of information. What's next? You know, uh, we what we got to cover next is um, some some of the information that Rob was talking about uh, while we were off air for a minute there. Uh, that he just read uh, from a study, and I think it's really interesting. And so I really want to kick it to Rob and say, uh, tell tell us all about that, and and let's go from there. Yeah, the um, study that really just came out um, from McKinsey and Company, um, well known sort of corporate consulting firm. Uh, they surveyed twenty five thousand people in uh, the spring of this year in April. So it, this is sort of you know, late pandemic, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and they, you know, they were, they were, they had some insights that the report is ultimately called Unequal America. And uh, some, some, you know, for example, even going into this uh, pandemic, uh, about half of Americans said they lived on the financial brink, meaning, um, you know, we have, we've some language we use here in Michigan uh, about the, Alice report, um, and, and this is work done by the United Way Association of the United Ways that really talk about uh, Alice is someone who's, I think you may have to help me with the acronym, but asset limited income, income constrained. Constrained. constrained employed. Yes. So this, mm -hmm. this is the working poor in, in, in a way. Uh, and, and so, you know, half of the of the population reported that they were on the financial brink or they didn't meet the alice standard what it would take to, to you know pay your bills comfortably in, in a household um and that all of that's been exacerbated by the pandemic um that you know people who were doing well remain doing well and maybe in some cases did better that was true for small businesses and i think was true for individuals and the opposite if you were 
if you were doing poorly, uh, this was very much exacerbated by uh, by the pandemic. Maybe, uh, you know, I, I think certainly the uh, checks from our federal government help uh, hold some of that up and keep it from becoming uh, disastrous. But, you know, and, and then it, it, it talked about some some literal systems that have to overlap uh, for economic return. So health care. Truth is, some some do not have access to health care that others have. And this is particularly true uh, for low income women is particularly true for people of color. And, um, you know, we, and if you don't have your health, uh, then your ability to, to, you know, raise income for your household is constrained. Um, it, it, it talked about child care, you know, the child care issue today. And if you'd asked me, you know, 10 years ago as a small business advocate, whether child care would be an issue that I would be uh, involved in, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have believed it. But the reason we are is because it's constraining the workforce. Uh, and, um, you know, small businesses are looking for employees and a big, you know, there's a large number of women in particular, but it's, it's both men and women who are on the sidelines because they can't find childcare. Or if they do, it is so expensive, it economically makes no sense for them to go to work. And so, you know, these, I think these are the issues that, you know, particularly, you know, ultimately, because this show is about people who find themselves in need of a food bank, um, the the sort of issue of uh, everybody below the Alice standard or that half who feel like they're on the financial brink um, and paying attention to that and looking for solutions to that. Well, I think that, that Rob, very interesting points there because um, we, we're not the most expensive state when it comes to uh, child care. We're just one of the most expensive states. I think we're, last time I looked, I think we were fifth, the fifth most expensive state for childhood. Um, so to, 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 to support Alice, we furnished a study called the self-sufficiency standard that was paid for by the Michigan Health Endowment Fund. And we've renewed that several times since then. And um, it, it, it points just to what you're talking about. And so the, the policy implication is this, and I'm just going to kind of jump over the, the, the can, Grand Canyon here and go right to policy. Wouldn't it be awesome if work supports, food, child care, housing, actually supported work? Instead, we de-incentivize work with the policies the way they're currently set up. So by the time someone makes somewhere in the neighborhood of $13 an hour, they're ineligible for all of those work supports. But they're, they're still six, seven, eight dollars an hour away from being self-sufficient. So that's the work. I really think that's the work. And, it, and it's, it's different conversations for different industries. And I think that's one of the things that um, the Small Business Association has stood for and firmly on that if you're having a if you're having a discussion about work supports with the corporate world that's one thing having it with a mom and pop shop on michigan avenue is an entirely different conversation well phil uh, i agree with you and this idea of you know people figure out what's in their best interest pretty quickly everybody can make that calculation because you it's real it's personal and you know 
I think we've just watched a perfect example of this with the pandemic unemployment, uh, the additional money. And while I think it was necessary at the beginning, uh, it is undeniable that people are doing their own personal calculation and deciding it would be better for me and my household if I stayed on unemployment at this heightened level for as long as I can. And it's undeniable that it's keeping people from coming back into the workplace. Uh, and it's just one example that, that if you take the whole breadth of those those kind of work supports you were talking about, um, childcare is another one. It's income, uh, you know, limited and at a certain point, you don't get any more help. Well, that point, probably if you're doing your own sort of household math, uh, it would make no sense for you to go back to work. You, it would cost you money to go back to work. And while there's all kinds of opportunity while at work to, to improve your household income in the short term, you're losing money. And that's that, I agree with you, Phil. That's a policy issue. Uh, and, and that's solvable. It's, cre it's created sure it by the government, and it can be solved by the government. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And I and one thing feeds the next, right? So if you talk about childcare being expensive and you know that labor is the big the biggest part of that cost, right? And then you say, well, if everyone makes higher wages, it's only going to make childcare more expensive, right? And and the same thing with a lot of different issues. If food is expensive and it's a big part of a, a household budget and and wages are a big part of what costs supermarkets and other places part of their budget, right? So if you raise wages, you also raise the cost of food for most households, right? And that's why we have to be so careful about, well, how do we craft strategies that take into account, yes, people need more money to buy things. There's no question about it. And so how do you balance what people get and what they have to do to get it so that you end up with policies that drive everything in the right direction? And, and of course, there's lots of opinions about that and 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 gathering those opinions and understanding them is part of what makes good policy and i quoted you off air and i'm and i'm going to quote you again even though i should probably let you say it right you can't make good policy fast you said it the first time we had you on the show but that's why these are complex issues with a lot of things that feed them and so you know solving the benefits cliff this is what this topic is really called the benefits cliff where as people raise more or make more money they're doing all the right things they're getting educated they're showing up at work they're doing a good job they're getting promoted and as a result of that promotion they're losing household income that's the dynamic we're talking about specifically and as long as we do that we're going to be disincentivizing Guys, I hate to cut this off, but we got to take a break. But we, Rob, I promise we'll pick it up on the other side. Stay with us. One more segment with Rob Fowler, the CEO for Small Business Association of Michigan, Jerry Brisson, and me, Dr. Phil Knight. Come back. We're right here. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. We're with Rob Fowler, the CEO for the Small Business Association of Michigan, Jerry Brisson, myself, Dr. Phil Knight. We're talking about, really, guys, we're really talking about things that we learned that became more evident during the pandemic because, you know, this benefits cliff isn't anything that happened brand new because of the pandemic. It's, this thing's been around too long and for long. 
But, you know, one of the things, Rob, we talked about, these are highly complex things, but it doesn't mean that they can't be solved. Um, I think one of the things, I think I agree with you, one of the, as you pointed out about the workforce returning, I think another factor is the how upset the school systems have been that really, in essence, provide child care for people who are working. And when they're in a hybrid model, where a child is going two days a week, 7.30 to 12 o'clock and 12 o'clock to 3.30, and you're that person, that student's mode of transportation back and forth, and you're, having to, you're trying to work and not work and figure all that out, it's harder on those low-income families than what any of us can probably really imagine. And I think that is a factor for also why people aren't returning to work as quickly as we need them and would like them to. No question about it. We hear it all the time that, um, you know, even even for those who've had the ability, their work allowed them to work from home and they were able to sort of juggle their kids also at home doing school. Um, that has kept them from being able to come back into the office any sooner. Now, I think the good news is I think we're we're coming to the end of that phase. I think the next school year will be, you know, in person, but it must be, it must be for, for the kids, but it must be for employers too, which is my perspective on this. Um, you know, mm -hmm. but, but I think the other issue that, that is sort of raised in this is, and we were just talking about it. You know, I always say that the fastest way out of poverty is entrepreneurship, meaning the, the sort of build your own uh, business and, and build wealth. But the surest way out of poverty is education. And education has been badly disrupted. There's lots of talk about the learning loss. I, I fear, from again, from an employer's perspective, that we're going to see this, this group of kids and their learning loss go through our economy for years, for years mm. to come. Mm. Uh, and, and the, um, you know, the injustice done to this this group of kids uh, by our education system, by the circumstances, uh, I think it's going to be with us for a very long time. And that has impact on their ability to earn. It has ability in, in our economy. So mm -hmm. as we just said, all these things are very much connected. I, I want to at least uh, go to, to this issue about policy and Jerry, the issue of you can't you can't do good policy fast. I think part of our challenge right now, uniquely in Michigan, is uh, ironically term limits. That is to say, our policymakers literally are not there long enough to understand the complexity of these issues. I would say, you know, just about the time they get it figured out, uh, we, we make them leave. <laughs> uh, and I was I was a supporter of term limits in concept to begin with, uh, kind of a citizen's government, but I. Public policy is hard and it's complex, and um, you know a freshman legislator uh, just does not have enough experience. And you know, and, and in the House of Representatives today in Michigan, you can only serve six years. So I, I didn't want to get on a rant about that, but I think it's part of our problem here. It's part of our challenge to fix education and healthcare and the economy coming out of this pandemic. It is going to take some serious policy making um you know depth and i think we really lack it right now in michigan 
That's, I mean, you know, one of the one of the great reasons we love to have the people we have on our show is to point out these are the, the real issues in the world, right? These are the things, the dynamic things that we're working on all the time to try to create systems that work better for people. And of course, our goal is to create a safety net that works the way it should. And that means it's available when it needs to be, with as much as it needs to be, for as long as it needs to be, as the rest of the systems that support people do their jobs, right? Whether that's employment or education or whatever it is. So all those things have to work together in concert if you really want a community that functions at its peak. Now we know that's a little pie in the sky, even saying it that way. It's like, can that ever happen? And I think the point you just made, Rob, is it certainly can't happen if people don't have time to learn all of the things you need to know before they start making policies. And I think that does drive some of the partisanship that we see is, well, then what do you lean on in the absence of the time and space it takes to really get all of the information you need to make the, the, the decisions that are going to be most helpful? Well, then sometimes you just lean back on whatever the party says. And, uh, and you know, again, you can, you can blame people for it. Or as Dr. Phil, I'm going to quote Dr. Phil, being that I quoted you already, Rob. You know, we got to fix the problem, not the blame. Right? Hmm. You, you, you can't fix the blame. It doesn't help. Right? So how do you really fix the problem? And I think what you mentioned is something we run into even as we try to do the advocacy work we do on food security. Yeah, I, I agree. But with, I, Rob and I have had this conversation multiple times in different settings and um and i'm i'm fully i I believe in term limits but ours are our term limits are too limited (laughs) they're too limiting um and and rob i got to circle back to one thing and then i want to ask you a question about just about you not about the work but you said the the uh the surest way the fastest way out of poverty is entrepreneurship the surest way out of is education and i would submit for consideration that the first step out of poverty is food security when a, when a home had no argument when that home becomes food secure that toxic stress leaves and they're able to concentrate on opportunities whether they be in business or but man, as long as their mind is consumed with that stress of what am I going to eat? What am I going to give my kids? There's no room for anything else. And so I just echo, I love what you said there. Now let me ask you about you. You uh, you had an announcement here recently. Uh, and so maybe share that with our listeners here on Food First Michigan. And then, uh, and then of course, the follow-up question is, you know what's coming. So go ahead. Yeah, I uh, uh, after 21 years of doing work that I love and um, am passionate about, I have decided it's time for me to retire. So I'm I'm retiring from uh, from SBAM, and I, the thing I'm most excited about, you know, I, I think you get to the end of a of a career. I've actually spent 35 years as a small business advocate uh, in three different states, but if you get to this point and you can can sort of hand it over to someone who you know will carry on the work uh, at least as passionately, if not way more than you. Uh, that's a pretty special moment, and we were able to do that. Brian Cowley, our former lieutenant governor, is going to be the next president and CEO uh, of our, our organization, and I could not be more happy about that. That's awesome. 
and and I'm I'm happy to know that I was one of the first ones to know that we were sitting in a in a meeting together, and you announced that uh, possible the possibility of maybe splitting your table, and I guessed a person, and you said no, but close, and so uh, I was I missed it, but I I was close, so uh, that's great news. Congratulations on a wonderful career. Uh, SBAM, when you when you came to work there 21 years ago, I had about 5,000 members, and now you're you're pushing almost 30,000 members. Correct. Yep. And healthy things grow, man. That's what we believe. Uh, so, uh, Godspeed, Rob. And uh, what? So, what's next? Well, uh, truth is, I don't have a specific plan. Uh, I'm going to. Um, uh, my wife and I are going to spend some time doing some traveling, as I think I hear people say all the time. Uh, I, I will say, uh, when we were first married and before we had kids, my wife was a travel agent. So uh-huh. we, we did a lot of really wonderful and stupid traveling, and uh, <laughs> we, we'd like to get back to that, and so it'll be fun. Well, well, we'll have to hear from you. You know, we'll we'll, we'll look for that travel log, right? You're gonna you're gonna set up a little podcast, maybe, or you know, something to help us keep on top of what you're learning in those travels and the fun you're having. And congratulations, Rob, you've done a phenomenal job. And we got to find a reason to have you back on the show, anyway. We'll we'll find one. Where's Rob? That'll be the travel log. There we go. There. I'm game. I'm game for that. (laughs) So. Rob, here's how I'd like to end your time with us, if you'll just accept this as the compliment for which it's intended. I think your leadership, your character, your integrity is unquestioned. And if you're looking for a new role, the fight against hunger could always use a champion like you. So we, Jerry and I both say to you, Godspeed and thanks for how you've invested your one handful of life. Thank you, my friends. You bet. Jerry and I are back to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry, let's wrap up this show with Rob Fowler, our CEO. I think this is the third or fourth time Rob's been on us, been on the show with us, and um, I amazing conversation today might have been the best show he'd done with him yeah it was really interesting and good and important and we covered a lot of ground on this show and i guess if i were going to just add a thought it's that all the problems and issues that we talked about we talk about them because we believe they're solvable right it's going to take time it's going to take effort it's going to take work it's going to take all of us working together it's going to take you know solid thinking but they are solvable we just got to get them in front of us and just start knocking them down we we want to have a food secure state we believe we can but we can't have a food secure state if the safety net and all of the other supports don't work together to support families we can't so interesting complex but still we believe we can tackle this thing one thing at a time yeah, I, re- I, I agree with you, Jerry. Great perspective there that they are solvable. Um, you know, I, I think it was Einstein who said you can't solve the problem with the same thinking you use to create the problem. Right. <laughs> so, nice so we're going to have to credit think- to somebody there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Probably. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I mean, it is going to take different thinking. And I think Rob's thought, 
that he, he brought out about um, uh, term limits and how difficult yeah. it is to create good policy that leads to good outcomes uh, for some of these matters that are impacting either the social determinants of health or uh, income and employee relationships, the, the, the recovery of the economy, all the way down to food security. I mean, it's, they're all interrelated, and Rob made that point for us uh, several times during this podcast, during yeah. this show. Good reminders of why we do what we do. Why do we have a show? Because these right. are the things we got to get in front of us and got to get out there, and there's got to be a repository for all of that. And guess what? That's what made us the number one food security podcast in America, at least according to someone. Uh, well, well, we'll we'll take all the allocates we can get and uh, appreciate it. Time for a little food for thought. It's one of my most favorite sayings. After standing in the gap for the families who own small businesses across Michigan for 21 years. Rob Fowler embodies what George Washington Carver meant when he said, no one has the right to come into this world and go out of it without leaving behind him or her a distinct and legitimate reason for having passed through it. Rob Fowler has done good for the Small Business Association and their members and the families they represent. It makes me think he would make a great food banker because it is what we do We stand in the gap for our members, those struggling with food security. We forge partnerships that lead to collaboration so that our impact multiplies and we come together to share knowledge and learn so that we can be excellent. That's our way of putting and keeping food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.